Hey, this is Joel. Welcome to the Hidden Node Podcast. I'm here with my friend Nick. Uh, Nick, do you remember when we talked about the Raspberry Pi PoE hat that I was going to buy? We agreed that I should spend money on that. Yes. Well, I did. I spent the money on that, and I received it. And uh, things did not really go to plan. I've been avoiding telling you about this because I wanted to talk about it on the podcast. But uh, I'm pretty frustrated right now. Not going (laughs) to lie. Tell me about it. uh, It was not exactly the the fun purchase that I hoped it would be. So, okay, here's what happened. Um, So I got it, and I had my Raspberry Pi 3 running on my my camera. You know the camera that points out from the front of my house? Uh, Yes. And I... Uh, I think I just sent you, yeah, I sent you the link a few minutes ago and you looked at how it's snowing outside on my internet yeah. connected camera. Uh, anyway, my Raspberry Pi 3 is running that camera and I kind of have a shortage of available Raspberry Pis right now. And so I was like, okay, I'll swap the Raspberry Pi 2 that I have to doing that, except it would not boot from the SD card that I have in the Raspberry Pi 3, like no matter what Uh-oh. I did. So, yeah. I completely re like I reset up that whole camera system, rebuilt the SD card from scratch, like got it booted, like went to boot it up, and then I realized the Raspberry Pi two doesn't have Wi-Fi built in. No, and so that won't work. <laughs> and so and so then I went and dug out like a USB Wi-Fi adapter and verified that it would work with the flavor of Linux that I'm running on my Raspberry Pi and and like failed to get it connected to the network couldn't figure that out at all finally got it working i'm like an hour and a half two hours in no no and so then finally i get my raspberry pi 3 downstairs i plug the poe hat into it uh Mm -hmm. and i put it in the little case and i put it oh quick question yes quick question is the is the 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 poe hat version 2 which is what you got yep is it only compatible with the raspberry pi 3 and 4 shh you're ruining my story. Oh, sorry, 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 sorry. <laughs> well, go on, go on. I'll just no. cut to the chase. Actually, I was like five seconds away from the punchline anyway. I plugged it into my PoE switch. None of the lights came on. Nothing worked. And I'm like, huh, that's weird. Did I install it incorrectly? I'm looking at it, and all of a sudden it dawns on me that it's not compatible with my Raspberry Pi 3. It's only compatible with the next one up. Oh, that's horrible. And I look and like there's four pins on it, how it delivers the power and they're just not there. And I'm like, I am such an idiot. I look at the box and it's like (laughs) states the compatibility very clearly. And it's like, (laughs) so anyway, that that project was a complete and utter failure. It just did not work. I've I've come out in a cold sweat from that story. (laughs) I... I because the problem is I have had many sim- similar scenarios of the oh I really should just I really should just get another pie but if I if I click buy now that's at least you know mm, twenty four hours before I get to do this thing maybe maybe I should just try and oh look six hours later I haven't managed to get anything working yep. um this was a bad idea <laughs> yep yep it's and it's so sad too when you put a bunch of time into something like that, only to have it just fail catastrophically. Yeah. And then I had to put it all back too, you know, oh. like redo my whole setup with my camera, and it's all working again. You know, you were looking at snowflakes a few minutes ago because it's snowing like crazy here. Um, but yeah, so anyway, does that mean that does that mean that the Poe hat? is on hold for the moment it is it is it's not going to go back i'm going to keep okay. it uh i just need to buy a raspberry pi 3 or 4 oh, let's face it i'll probably just get a raspberry pi 4 and and use that but yeah it was it was a pretty crushing moment though <laughs> so hang on though three it, it is compatible with the three and the four uh let's look really quick raspberry okay. pi uh poe hat compatibility I don't remember which version I... Because I've got like the three something or other. Let's look and see. They need to do something about their naming structure. Okay, I think I figured it out. My It's compatible with the Raspberry Pi 4 and the Raspberry Pi 3B+. I believe I have the Raspberry Pi 3B, not the B+. Okay. So that is, uh, that is what got me on that. It was just that little plus that was missing. So That naming uh scheme is almost as bad as apples <laughs> it's 
you know, I've never been bit by it before, uh, but th that definitely hurt. That was like, oh, it, it, it wasn't so much the time, you know, $30 for the Raspberry yeah. Pi POE hat. That was not the end of the world, but it was the time. It was the two, three hours, something like that, for something that I thought would be a 15 or 20 minute project. That That's what kind of hurt. So, I don't hmm. know. On... Um, yeah, go ahead. Oh, well, I was just going to ask, you also spent something like a thousand dollars at Adafruit recently I did yeah did I mention that last time yeah I did briefly yeah I did yeah I did uh okay so you know that the wireless LAN professionals conference is coming up WLPC uh in well, this is only like two weeks away it's terrifying how soon that is but uh that is kind of what I consider to be like the best event for wireless engineers like you and I of the year like that's it's like the coolest thing to go go to and so uh, one thing that I put together for that is the packet potato, which is a, an electronic wearable badge. Nick, have I talked about that on the podcast? I can't remember if we've talked about the packet potato. Yeah, um, maybe a I little bit. I don't remember. Okay. I think I have maybe mentioned it. Tell you what, I'll give a little bit more background. I think it's fine if, uh, it's probably fine if I talk about it twice. So listeners, if you've already heard me talk about this, I'm sorry, I apologize. Uh, but anyway, it's a I want to hear it all again. You want to hear, hear it all again. again? Okay, all right. If you want to hear it again, then that's fine. So uh, it's a wearable badge, an electronic wearable badge. Basically, it's a bare circuit board with a bunch of like LEDs, uh, little blinky lights and chips all soldered directly to it. And you wear it like a badge at a conference. It's a really popular thing to do at, uh, especially at security conferences like DEF CON. Like badges are a big deal and they all kind of do something different or interesting. It's like circuit board or electronics art, basically. And so I decided okay. that we should probably have one for WLPC. And so I designed one called the Packet Potato, which basically listens for Wi-Fi activity and makes some LEDs blink in interesting ways, uh, depending on what Wi-Fi activity it hears. So, where where did the idea for this originally come from? Where did you get the inspiration? The Definitely the inspiration came from the Echo Sidekick and the MetaGeek Y-Spy DBX, which are both spectrum analyzers and essentially show you the like the waveforms that Wi-Fi generates as it talks. And so basically when you when you look at like the raw radio frequency activity on a spectrum analyzer, all kinds of wi wireless devices kind of make a unique shape when they transmit it. When they transmit, like for example, like a microwave makes a big blob, microwave oven, um, like Zigbee that you use for like Philips Hue that makes like a little narrow spike. Uh, and then Wi-Fi has a couple of different shapes it'll make kind of depending on, on what's going on. Okay. Fair enough. Okay. But like, how about the badge idea? Like where did you get the inspiration to turn it into a badge? Or is it just something you'd had in the back of your mind? Well, I saw on a spectrum, on the spectrum analyzers, like the different shapes that Wi-Fi would make. And I thought, you know what? I can make those happen without a full spectrum analyzer, those simple shapes. Like I could basically like just emulate a spectrum analyzer, basically listen for Wi-Fi activity, take that, and then turn it into like <laughs> yeah. the simplest imaginable form. But really, I mean, it was like a combination of seeing the spectrum analyzer, spectrum analyzers and working with those over the years. And then also just the badges that you see at conferences and stuff like DEF CON and Black Hat and B-Sides and, and those kinds of security conferences. And so, yeah, I was like, you know what? We, we should have a badge for WLPC. Like, we don't have badges. Nobody does that. Maybe the packet potato could be the very first one. And I have a feeling that it won't be the only one. I have a feeling that this will kick off some other activities and that we'll see more and more electronic badges at the Wireless okay. Pros conference. That's my guess. All right. And so why did you spend over $1,000? Oh, yeah, at Adafruit, right. Way to bring it back. So the packet potato itself, uh, it needs a battery to operate, but it does not have an integrated charger. And so Adafruit offers lithium poly batteries, and they also offer little, uh, little chargers for them, like little USB chargers. And so I'm taking 100 packet potatoes to WLPC in two weeks, and so okay. I ordered 100 lithium poly batteries, 100 lithium poly chargers, and that amounted <laughs> to almost $1,500, like $1,200, $1,300, $1,400, something like that. It was insane. In fact, I maxed out the the amount of batteries that they could ship in one order. Like it was, 
Like I tried <laughs> to order 100 and I actually had to bring it down to like 97 batteries and then, or, and then place another order of like three batteries because they could not ship. They could not legally ship that many batteries okay. at once in a single shipment. Yeah. 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 So yeah, that's, that's what happened there. And my office is absolutely full of little plastic baggies of packet potato parts you know little transistors and leds and and integrated circuits and all this stuff that i have to assemble into bags and so here in the next couple of weeks my wife and i we will need to basically do a gigantic assembly line and assemble basically 100 of these packet potato kits and uh, my hope is that people are interested in them and will buy them so i can recoup some money because <laughs> <laughs> It's scary to think about how many thousands of dollars I have wrapped up in this at this point. It's, but, you know, it's for fun, right? And hopefully people think it's fun and I don't know. We'll, we'll see how it goes. Okay. And, and there was a little bit of additional drama just recently. Yeah. Yesterday. Definitely yesterday. So one of the things that I have to do for the packet potato is have printed circuit boards made. Little circuit boards done. And it turns out that you can get them from China for incredibly cheap. I mean, it is like it's a few dollars per circuit board to have them made and shipped to your house, completely custom circuit boards. And so I've ordered probably, I think I've ordered three or four times now. I've ordered circuit boards from a Chinese PCB manufacturer called JLC PCB. And okay. uh, so far, the experience has been I place an order on. Sunday and I have them in hand by Friday. Seriously, it's wow. insane. Yeah. Um so so as we we're kind of getting close to WLPC, you know, I'm like, okay, I really need to get these things ordered. I ordered a set. Uh, uh my brother's been doing all of the PCB layout and kind of like the the circuitry design basically. I essentially gave him a rough sketch and he kind of uh, he 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 made it all happen, you know. He got into like the CAD software and made it all happen. So, super helpful. Thanks a ton to my brother for all the work he's put into that. Uh, anyway, I needed him to make a few revisions, uh, and he did. Uh, and then we ordered five of them to test it and make sure that the revisions were good. There was a mistake. There was one part of it that there was one circuit that was not connected. And I was like, whew, glad we caught that. I only ordered five boards, and so it wasn't the end of the world. So then I went ahead and ordered all, after we, we found the problem and fixed it, I went ahead and ordered all 100 boards. Well, that's right about when Chinese New Year was starting. And over Chinese New Year, they basically like just shut down PCB manufacturing for like 10, 15 days, something like that. A bunch of industries over there completely shut down. And so I was looking at that and it made me a bit nervous. I'm like, ah, okay, it's cutting it a little close, but uh, you know, we're, we're probably going to be just... Oh, we lost Nick. Whoa, Nick, what happened? Are you there? I am still here. That was a failure on Chrome behalf, on Chrome's behalf. Nice. So we are right now, we are recording with a tool that is in a web browser and your web browser, did it crash or quit or what happened? It just exited out of cast, like the, uh, the podcasting just service that we're using. So wait, was it just the uh, the tab closed mm. or the whole browser quit? Just the tab. Oh my goodness, that's so frustrating. Well, I guess Chrome runs each tab as its own individual process, and so it sounds like maybe macOS terminated that process or something like that. Yeah, possibly. Uh, and yikes. you know, I've also disabled. Uh, you know, I have disabled Turbo Boost as well, which you know, I think at the point that you start messing around with that kind of thing in the operating system, if something odd happens i no longer have the right to say what are you doing apple because yeah this might have been my fault nice nice well where were so, we when we were cut off because i i think i talked for a while before realizing that you weren't there anymore <laughs> i think it was just about the coronavirus mandating shutdown in right. china so it was right at the punchline okay cool yeah well, anyway, to finish up the story, um, I was my, my delivery of boards was delayed slightly because of uh, Chinese New Year, but then coronavirus happened, which pushed right. the delivery date hopelessly far out, hopelessly close to the conference. And so 
I still have that order placed and they might still show up. So I might end up with 200 boards instead of 100. So I immediately yesterday on discovering this began researching alternatives. Uh, I started to, so I started to look into other Chinese manufacturers and what I immediately found is that they're all affected by this. They all have the exact same message on their website, making right. me think that they either all use the same fab house or they're just all affected by it. But so then I was like, okay, that's not great. And so then I started to use, there's several like PCB manufacturer aggregators out there, you know, like flights.google.com, how you can just go, okay. you know, punch in what flights you want to look for. And it just searches all the carriers for you, all, all of the airlines. Yeah. There's the same thing for, uh, for PCB manufacturing. And so I went and looked at those and immediately found that like everyone was in the same boat. And so then I started going like, okay, well, now let's go start looking at one in the, ones in the U.S. And so I went to one called Osh Park here in the U.S. And I looked to get 100 boards made was going to be almost $2,000 from Osh Park. Okay. Like hundreds of times more expensive. Like it, it was it was just like immediately. I was like, nope, that would like cancel the whole thing. Like we would just cancel it. We would just not do it if that's what if that's what it took. So then I found one in Canada and I'm like, oh, okay, a Canadian one. And the price was very reasonable. And I was like, yeah, this might work. This might work. And I created an account, went through the whole ordering process, made sure it was all good. And then I go to click buy. And at the very last second, it pops up a message saying that our PCB manufacturers are actually in China and we are affected, you know, by Chinese New Year. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. So finally, um, I, I put up a call on Twitter. I asked some friends via instant message. I like reached out to Ryan Woodings, the owner of MetaGeek, and asked him who did their like their hardware stuff. And I like I was like trying everything I could think of. And somebody on Twitter recommended a PCB manufacturer in Korea, and okay. it was five times more expensive than no, probably probably like three point five times more expensive than what I'd originally okay. paid but they can deliver them in six days. So I did. Wow. All right. So, so that dude, I was freaking out yesterday. Like it was bad. Okay. And so potentially though, now you might get lots of PCBs, but that's not a bad thing. Well, the risk now is that I couldn't do like a trial run. Normally what I would do is I would place an order for like five boards and get those and just, you know, okay, everything looks good. I ordered it correctly because you give them your PCB design files and most PCB fab houses, they basically just make what you sent them, even if it's wrong, sure. even if it makes no sense, they'll just manufacture it. And that's not their job. Now, JLC PCB, they have actually spotted issues on my boards before and they'll actually, they've actually contacted me and said, Hey, we noticed that this was on this layer. This was on this layer. Did, did you actually mean to do this? And I'm like, Oh my gosh. Yes. Thank you so much for catching that. Wow. Okay. I don't so know about this like one. analyzing the boards. Well, if they feel like it, yeah, they don't have to though. All they, I mean, their job is to make the thing that you ask them to make. They will make exactly yeah. what you ask them to. So JLC PCB though, they have caught problems for me, but this Korean place, I mean, they look reputable, they look good. But I will not know whether this is going to work out until I receive the boards in six business days, which is next Monday. And if they get here next Monday, that gives me four business days to scramble to try to find an alternative. So, I mean, yeah, it's, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. But at this point, uh, there's nothing else I can really do. I've, I've ordered my stuff. I did it as correctly as I possibly could. They did email me uh, in the middle of the night last night at like 1 a.m., 2 a.m. my time and say, hey, we received your order. We're putting it into production. And so that was nice to get. And it was like a okay. handwritten, like somebody typed out an email. So that was good. So yeah, yep. we'll, we'll see what happens. Cool. Okay, good. Well, I'm pleased that the uh, the immediate pressure is off. Yeah, I definitely felt better after placing the order and like feeling like I had done what I could, you know? Yeah. So... Yeah, and and you know if it doesn't work out, well, the 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 biggest thing I'm worried about is that 20 person class. If I don't have boards for those 20 people, that I will probably go to Osh Park at that point and just pay a ridiculous amount of money to have 20 boards made. Uh, but then, kind of the the dream I've always had is like I've always been kind of dreaming of a WLPC where a bunch of people will be walking around wearing stupid blinky circuit boards shaped like potatoes, you know. <laughs> 
like I've right. like I've been I've been kind of like I had the idea the idea for this a couple of years ago and and this is like this is where it's all coming together you know and man just the unthinkable happened I mean a, a at this point I think we can safely call it a global epidemic epidemic mm. epidemic mm. over three hundred people have died and that's the other thing that's stupid about this is I'm like freaking out that my little circuit board blinky project thing doesn't work when people are dying you know like yeah. this makes me feel kind of bad that like my I, world I is so self-centered i well i think i think there's a i think there's a, a balance to be struck there because you can't the fact that you're aware of that is possibly the most important thing but yeah. meanwhile there's very little you can do to true act. i mean and you got to be careful with that line of thinking haven't you because yeah. otherwise you could start worrying about everybody else and everything and then you never do anything yourself yeah i guess that's true when i i did email jlc pcb about the and just asked them like hey you know do you have any idea on this like whether there'll be any you know whether this is in production or not and i did put some wording in there to make them help them understand like i understand that this these there's a situation that is beyond your control and i'm not angry about it like this is just yeah it's just, it is what it is. And, and I even said, like, I'm so sorry that you guys are going through this right now, that you're impacted by this. Because, I mean, if they have a travel ban in their city that they're based in, that tells me that they're probably, I mean, they are directly affected by this. Mm. So, yeah, it's uh, it's a situation, that's for sure. Definitely the unthinkable, something I never could have planned for. I mean, the lesson that I learned here is you can never order your hardware soon enough. Like, you can yes. never have it too far in advance for something like this. And I thought I was giving myself enough time, but uh, I just I just didn't. So apparently not. Yep. Oh well, it is what it is. <laughs> yeah. So you know, um, I don't know. Uh, some other another thing that we've struggled with today is, man, you and I have had t- audio recording issues today. Holy cow! Yeah. Podcasting is hard, isn't it? It is not easy. <laughs> we have had some. I mean. There's several aspects, though, aren't there? I mean, we had uh, we had some some like grounding issues where you get like buzzing on the line, and then yep. the and then the, the my Chrome tab exiting. Yeah. So we did solve one major audio quality issue, though, and that is well, I don't know. If we've solved it. We won't really know until we post it, but. Uh, Two things that I think we've been having trouble with, and I think this is an interesting conversation. I hope that you do. But uh, it's, first off, is plosives. You know, that's where you their microphone pops from. You know, like a, a plosive, right? Okay. Um, so we've both got these cheapo. Um, what are they called? Pop filters. Pop filters. Yeah. I really hope that they solve that problem. What do you think of your pop filter that you, that you purchased? Like, do you have any thoughts on the thing that you purchased? Um, it's one of those items that I don't think i love but yeah it's gonna i mean it's doing a job so if it if it proves its own value then that'll be if it, if it proves it was worth the 6.99 pounds that i paid to get yeah. this then that'll be fine and then maybe eventually i'll get a nice a nicer one but yeah this one's not this is not a product that's been made with love yeah i, I i'm i'm with you on that i i bought one that was seven dollars uh, and I mean, it so far, I think it's performing fine. Again, we won't really know till we post it. Cause there's, I don't know, some things happen between, uh, between recording and posting, but the physical product, like how it attaches to my microphone boom, how it lines up with where it's supposed to be is maddening. Like I, <laughs> it's doing what it's supposed to do, but everything else around it is just miserable and I hate it. So yeah, we got to figure that out. I think 3D printing might rescue us here. I think we might be able to 3D print some better mounts or something like that to, to get it attached to the microphone and we might have better luck. But anyway, I hope this solves the problem because, man, we've had some a couple of episodes. Uh, the other problem that we've had is my microphone being way too hot, like way too loud. And I think that the other thing that these pop filters are going to do is move our faces away, from, like force force our faces away from the microphone and so that we don't get you know, microphones that are too hot. So anyway, I'm hoping that things get a little bit better there. So to the listeners, uh, sorry for the audio issues. This is a, this is a steep learning curve, isn't it? Yeah, but I'm enjoying it. I'm Me enjoying too. it. Me too. It's, um, yeah, part, part of the process, I think. I mean, yeah. and we're only gonna, 
you know, you only improve these things with practice. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So cool. Well, um, Hey, let's move on and, uh, and talk about something else. Just something I've been wanting to ask you about. Um, you, so you got an iPad and have you been using sidecar on your iPad with your Mac? I have been using sidecar. I've been using sidecar a lot more than I thought I would. So maybe before we jump into the conversation about that, um, uh, I don't know. Maybe we should explain what sidecar is. We should definitely explain what sidecar you... is because I imagine that some some people don't have Macs and don't live in the Apple world and lap up every single bit of marketing material Apple release, so they it, might not be I aware. also think that there's probably a vast majority of Apple users who don't know about it, people that have a MacBook and or a Mac of some kind and have an iPad but don't understand that this capability exists. So should you explain it or should I? Uh, I will start... I'd like to start with uh, just the story of Duet. Yes, that's a, an excellent place to start. Please, by all means. Okay, and then maybe you can you you can jump in. Sure. I so go back a few years. I remember coming across an app called Duet, and that wasn't uh, you downloaded an iOS app and then you downloaded a macOS app, and then you could plug the iPad into the laptop. And if you had the Duet app running on both, you would then be able to turn your iPad into a second monitor. And it was it was a mixture of clunky and awesome, wasn't it? Like yeah. it worked most of the time. Sometimes you'd have to restart Duet on your on your MacBook or restart Duet on your laptop. But the ability to use my iPad as a second display, like in hotel rooms and things like yes. that. Oh my goodness. It was amazing. It, it was life-changing really. You know, I actually started out uh, before Duet. I actually used a, a USB-C external monitor or no, it was just a okay. USB-3 external monitor. So I lugged around like it was like a 13 or 14 inch panel on right? a little foot display thing. It was actually at <laughs> WLPC a few years ago. Uh, Ian Byer had one and I saw it and I was like, I have to have it. And I used that for several months and I loved it. Okay. But ultimately it, it had a sad ending when one day I, I was like boarding group 5,000 to get on a flight <laughs> and like, they're like, all right, uh, boarding group, uh, boarding group 35, you may now board, you know, and it was, we were like the very last people to get on the plane and there was no room in the overhead. And so they, they gate checked my bag and my, display uh, was in my bag and it got broken yeah, that and that was, was the, end. the end of that and that is about the time that i discovered duet got an ipad discovered duet and started using that as my secondary display while traveling it was pretty great it's pretty good and stuff i think you hit the nail on the head by saying the experience with duet was excellent or the functionality was excellent but the experience was clunky yes yes and then it got really damaged for a while when um, Apple took away Duet's ability. Was with was it with uh, Catal? No, it was with Mojave, I think. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, what did they do? They took away do they? Okay, they they took away um, a, a, a specific driver that Duet relied on to get secondary monitor information into their application and streamed over to the iPad. And so then yep. they had to fall back on using AirPlay, but AirPlay only supported a handful of resolution options and it was slower and it was clunkier. And it was bad for a while. It was, it, it, I think it was around that time that I stopped using Duet because it started to become a horrible experience. Yeah. And what made me sad about it is it wasn't the developers of Duet. It wasn't their fault at all. They no. were, they just got, they just got completely undercut by Apple. And, uh, and then, and then with the latest release of, of Mac OS, which I believe is, I always get these mixed up. Mojave was the last one. Catalina is the new one, right? That's right. Apple added sidecar, which is their own take, their own implementation of using your iPad as a secondary display. And holy cow, it's beautiful. It's everything that I hoped it would be. What's your experience been with, uh, with sidecar so far? It's just been extremely good, but I know that some people have had, you know, more mixed and less yeah. positive experiences. But I, I think 
The only downside is that I cannot explicitly control whether it's wireless or wired. Hmm. But apart from that, I've found myself using Sidecar more and more. And even 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 in the past week, the ability to either plug or not not plug. I mean, I had I had a scenario where the iPad was uh, I, I was using my laptop in my in bed and I needed a second screen for something and the iPad was like on the bedside table and, <laughs> and it was right there right and it was and but I, what was I trying to do I was trying to take a screenshot on my main laptop screen without any of the windows being highlighted uh-huh. so I want because you know if you have two windows from the same application on screen and one of them selected it has a slightly different color yes so I didn't want that in the screenshot. I wanted yep. both windows to be the same. So by having a second monitor, I could then click on a finder window on my second monitor and then take the screenshot of the main screen and boom, job done. Nice. It's always those stupid little things like that that you rely on two monitors for. I, I feel very crippled without two monitors available. Yeah. Uh, like, for example, if I'm teaching a webinar or... Uh, well, yeah, if I'm teaching a webinar or, or presenting a webinar or something like that, I always, always, always do a presentation on my laptop display. And then I keep my presenter notes. If I can, I keep my, uh, I keep the webinar application and the chat window and the question window all running. And my annotation tools are all on my second display. Uh, and I don't know why more people don't do that, but at this point I rely on that. I have to have two monitors. So like, for example, uh, on Friday, I've got to be traveling. I have to go down to Cupertino for work, but I have to teach a three-hour Wi-Fi class. Right. And I am going to rely on Sidecar to be my secondary monitor while I'm giving that three-hour, that basically that three-hour yeah. webinar. So it's One, huge. What else are you using it for? Well, yeah, the presenting thing. Uh, I So my style of presentation usually involves switching between the slide deck and an application be right. that uh Ekahau or microsoft word which is the kind of current focus but uh there's a lot of swapping chopping and changing between these screens yeah and uh, one thing that i one thing that sidecar has enabled me to do is now have the ipad plugged into the laptop as a second screen mm-hmm. and mirror my primary monitor to the projector yep and that way whatever i see on my laptop screen i know that's what the attendees or the audience are seeing and i can then have my own things going on on the secondary monitor yeah totally that is that is all i've done that too i taught a class a wi-fi class uh in November, and that's exactly what I did. Is I had Sidecar running with my iPad, and uh, that was my secondary display, and it worked absolutely beautifully. It was just so great, and I think this is just another great example of using all of the tools at our expo, uh, basically all the tools at our disposal mm. to give a better teaching and presenting experience to the audience. And Sidecar is an important part of that. Now, two things. Number one, I think the process that apple did here by kind of providing functionality that had originally been conceptualized by someone else is called do you know what it's called Uh, there is a term uh it had something to do with the application that dim that that changes the the colors of the screen to make you to get you prepared for sleep better Um, did it no really it's um well so i think it's sherlocked Oh, was so, Sherlock the first? I think so. Oh, I think that's so. Funny. Well, that's what sticks in my mind anyway. Because Sherlock was well. Wait, did Sherlock precede Spotlight? Okay, just just a level of everybody. Spotlight is on Mac. Basically, that's where you can hit Command Space, and it brings up an amazing search function where if you want to launch Chrome, you just type in like C H R O, and all of a sudden Chrome is highlighted, and you just mash the Enter key, and boom, yeah, you've launched Chrome. And like me, I don't keep applications down in the dock. I launch, like if I want to launch Spotify, I do command space, SPO, enter, boom. That's how I launch applications. Did Sherlock precede Spotlight or did was Sherlock just a much better implementation of Spotlight? I'm going to read from a website. Do it. It's going to say, perhaps you've read that 
F dot Lux. So Flux. Flux. Which reduces eye, eye strain, helps you sleep, blah, blah, blah. In short, Sherlocked means that macOS will soon offer features that make installing the popular third-party tool, whatever it is, uh, unnecessary. So is the original term Sherlocked or is the original term Fluxed? Here we, here we No, it's Sherlocked. So before Spotlight, Apple's built-in search feature, there was a different built-in search feature called named, named Sherlock. After uh. the fictional detective, Sherlock was part of macOS 8 and 9, and allowed users to search files and contacts. When macOS 10 came around, Sherlock was extended to incorporate some basic web functionality, including translation. That's that's odd, because it kind of suggests that Sherlock was originally an Apple thing. But Yeah, and it sounds like it was. As far as I know, it like I like you know I've got a few classic Macs here. Yeah. I don't have anything macOS 8 or 9, but I do have an iMac G3 that's running uh mac os 10 tiger 10.4 and i think it does have i think sherlock oh. is in there i can't remember okay okay it the, it, it, the, the plot deepens uh Uh-oh. the the idea of offering information from the internet in a native mac search interface intrigued developer dan wood who founded a company called carol carolia uh which built a tool named watson this $30 application was intended to be a companion to Sherlock. Get it? Yep. And then dun, 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 Watson became very popular and stayed that way all the way up until Apple released macOS 10.2. And in that release, Apple added just about everything Watson could do to Sherlock's own interface. Which then Sherlock eventually got folded into Spotlight. Right. Okay. So, right. so the, yeah, so this term Sherlock... Sherlocked came about by Apple creating something called Sherlock, which had some functionality, but then a developer, an independent developer created something that was called Watson, which could do sort of the same thing, but more and right. far better, far more flexible. Mm-hmm. And then the process of Apple taking that idea and adding it to their own native thing. Gotcha. I think the more recent version of that, though, would be Flux, right? So yes. just so everybody knows what Flux is, uh, I, I guess a developer figured out that staying up late, reading an iPad or reading something on your phone or your laptop, all that blue light would mess with your, help me out here if I get the, if I get it wrong, but your circadian rhythms. Uh, I think that's correct. Is that correct? Yeah. So we're basically seeing a, a lot of blue or white light will, will, it doesn't really coax your body to get ready to sleep. And so Flux would basically remove the harsh blues from the screen and kind of turn it all just kind of a, I don't know, kind of an amber color, kind of a, it's kind of a muted color thing. And yeah. so Flux was the first one to do that. Was that just Mac OS or was that on iOS? Like what? It must have been I just Mac it, OS. I think it was just Mac OS. Maybe there's a Windows version as well, I think. Yeah. But then Apple basically yoinked that idea and just built it into iOS and mac os and yeah. so now there's no there's no incentive to get flux anymore and so yeah so the interesting thing on that one is that i think flux did a better job of the gradual transitions between night mode and day mode yeah. because flux would do continual transitions over periods of like three four hours it would ever so slowly be changing and night shift's pretty binary. Like, it's either enabled or it's not or enabled. Not. Yeah. You know, to be honest, I've kind of disabled on all my stuff because it just kind of would bug me how, I don't know, like, I didn't enjoy, you know, watching YouTube videos or anything like that sure. where I knew that my OS was messing with the color and how the, the creator of that content had intended it to be, you know, consumed. And so I, I think I end up turning it off on all my stuff. Even Android has it now, I think. Really? I think it's built into Android. I'm, I'm not sure. You'd have to double check me on that. But, uh, but, but what yeah. I will say, what mm-hmm. I will say is that uh, Night Shift does a much better job with external monitors because what it... I experienced. Sorry, oh. say again. I does it work with external monitors? I didn't realize that it did. Well, the problem I had with when I was running Flux was that I'd plug in my second monitor and it would flash at me without flux running and uh-huh. then 
So then no matter when you know when you unplug or plug it in a second monitor, you'd get this horrible light show of flashing, you know, the blue colors and then the the muted tones for the for the evening and that whole experience was not good. So night shift sounds like yet another example of Apple taking something third party like Flux and mm. kind of knocking off the harsh edges on it, you know, kind of sanding it down, smoothing it out and grabbing the core functionality that people really care about and then just building it into their into their software, into their operating system. And I think that is exactly what Sidecar has done to Duet, right? Yeah. And I feel terrible for the Duet guys. Like, I feel bad for them. I mean, I, I did give them my money. You know, I paid for their product and I used it for two years or so very happily. I was heartbroken for them when Apple... Uh, when when Apple messed with their drivers and stuff that they were relying on and and caused them to to you know have to produce a a very subpar product and then I felt bad for them again when I'm like well <laughs> goodbye duet you know like I remember after I installed Catalina and tried out Sidecar for the first time I immediately went and uninstalled Duet and I'm like well <laughs> end of the line you know and yeah. uh, and since then like yeah Sidecar is all I'm gonna going to use. Now, have you used Sidecar wired or wirelessly or both? Like, what is your experience with Sidecar, Ben, from a connection standpoint? So I have used it both. Yeah. Like I mentioned, I wish I could explicitly control, but so when presenting in a class, I would plug my iPad into the laptop and then I would hope that that has used the wired connection and it's been flawless but i've got to say if i'm not doing anything heavy duty on the wireless connection mm -hmm. even though even the wireless link in sidecar has been solid for me wow so it's worked really well i i've always plugged a cable in because i have an ipad pro with USB-C, and i have a macbook air with USB-C, and so it's very convenient to just plug that cable in on each end and i don't have to worry about which end is which and all that so I've always plugged a cable in. I don't think I've ever attempted to use it wirelessly, uh, but it kind of sounds like I don't know which one I'm using. And so it sounds like Mac OS and iOS might be making that, I'm sorry, iPad OS rather, might be making that decision for me without me being, without me even knowing the decision is being made. Yeah. Do you have the AirPlay symbol icon in your menu bar? I do. Yeah. Um, I'm kind of afraid to click it right now since we're recording, but it is there. Yeah. So when when I'm at home, it has the it it assumes the AirPlay icon because yeah. there's an Apple TV available. Okay. But when I'm not at home, and I uh, turn on my laptop, it it that icon changes whether it's wired or not to the shape of an iPad. It's it's a little square with the corners kind of rounded off, right? Yeah. Yeah. And and that's I mean I actually don't like the way it keeps changing on me, but that's by the by. It yep. is the indicator that even though I'm not on my home network, there is a second monitor that I could connect to. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is really interesting. Uh, whoops, sorry, I totally bumped this ridiculous arm that is holding my pop filter that we talked about earlier and ah, gesturing yes. as I'm over here gesturing, even though you can't see me. Uh, the, yeah, the, so the other issue that I've run into with this and, and hence why I'm afraid to click on it right now is if I remember correctly, I've had some problems with it stealing my audio sources or creating a new audio source. And that can be problematic when running a microphone or an output device of some kind. I often play with it some more to remember if I really truly did or if I'm just imagining this. But I think I've run into some issues with that where as soon as I start doing sidecar, it introduces another layer of complexity for audio output and audio devices. Yeah. So I could, I could believe that. I'll, yeah, definitely don't quote me on that, but I, I think I've run into that. But, but yeah, having this tool though, having sidecar available... I mean, that is enough reason to buy an iPad alone. Like that makes for like a standard seventh generation $330 iPad. That's like a done deal right there. Yeah. I would go out and buy a standard iPad to get sidecar alone. That's enough. Yeah. I mean, I spent $300 or maybe it was like $150 or $200 on that portable LCD panel with all of its drawbacks and issues back in the day. 
you know, it's not that much more to get an iPad. So it's just yet another reason to own an iPad and to keep it in my bag. And actually one thing that I need to do this week is my work laptop is a 13 inch MacBook pro and it's currently running Mojave. I haven't made the jump to Catalina on that it at my company. They kind of held back on authorizing Catalina for a bit, not surprising. Mm -hmm. And they, I guess there's some steps, there's some software that I specifically need to update before I mash the upgrade button on my Mac. But I actually need to do that this week because I got to teach that class out of a hotel room and I need to have my iPad as a second display. So I, that's one of my things on my to-do list this week is to complete that update, test it, make sure it's all going to work. And if it doesn't, then I don't know, I guess I'll buy like an HDMI cable and take that with me and try to use the TV <laughs> at the hotel as a secondary monitor. If I can even get to the HDMI plugs on it, like it's, I don't know that I really hope the iPad thing works out for my work computer. Yeah. I hope so too. Yeah. So <laughs> we'll, we'll see what, we'll see what happens there. So I want to, I want to just follow up on the, uh, on the presentation and swapping between slide deck and application x for mm-hmm. a moment yeah absolutely i know that you are a big fan of the ipad as keynote remote yes i am should i explain what that is should i talk about you, that for a second yes please okay so a few years ago i presented down at wlpc and one of my favorite things to do when i'm presenting or teaching is i love to use a whiteboard but the problem is, is that a whiteboard forces you to turn away from your audience. Uh, and additionally, I've been in a lot of venues where I just straight up don't get a whiteboard anymore. And so I began looking for a solution. For years, I would actually stand at a podium and draw on my MacBook display directly with a mouse. Drawing on a mouse isn't, drawing with a mouse isn't very easy. And a lot of times like presentation podiums are very cramped. They're not designed to hold a laptop. And so what I ended up discovering is that if you ran Keynote, which is basically Apple's, you know, PowerPoint, if you yeah. ran Keynote, you could pair your iPad or uh, or iPod Touch or or iPhone to it as a Keynote remote, and you could use that to change to the next slide. But then here's the killer part: you could also use an Apple Pencil to draw on the iPad display directly. And then that would show up wirelessly over on your MacBook. And so then what I realized I could do is I could set my MacBook up at the podium, plug it into HDMI to the projector, and then I could walk around with my iPad and with my pencil and draw on my slides and advance to the next slide from my from my iPad. Uh, it works I have... almost beautifully. Almost. A couple of problems. Yeah. What were you going to say? I was going to say, I have seen you do this. And based on that, I tried it. And I... And I think it works exceptionally well when it works. Well, what I thought was funny is that after I gave that presentation, I had a flood of people coming up to me not to ask me questions about my presentation or anything like that. No, no. Everybody just wanted to know, how did you do that? And which is funny because I just discovered the functionality in Keynote. And I ended up getting called back up on the stage the next day to give a short talk about how I did that. And since then, I've seen several other people start to use it as their, you know, their kind of preferred way to present and, and teach and stuff. So it works really well. And, and, I, and I have used it. But I think an important thing here is that it, it works when you don't have to regularly switch between Keynote in full screen presenter mode and another application. Yeah, I would say that that is that is the downfall of it is you have to walk back over. Now, typically what I do is I walk over to my laptop and I just hit the escape key and that usually exits Keynote and then you kind of have to swipe to a different application. Mm. It's not smooth, that's for sure. Uh, and where, Whereas if I use like Google Sheets or something like that, which doesn't forcefully take over the screen, I'll just three finger swipe over to another desktop where I have yes. my you know whatever application i want to demo running you said sheets did you mean sheets or slides oh i totally meant slides yeah google okay, slides not google sheets yeah no i do my presentations from google sheets don't you do that well, that's very impressive i have a tab uh, on the bottom <laughs> for yeah you know, it's like 
one of those horrific examples of someone using the application completely wrong. A few years ago, or many years ago, my very first job was I worked at a boat dealership. My job was to wash the boats, keep them looking good, mm-hmm. like out in the lot of all the boats that were for sale. And one day I walked up into the office and the secretary was up there. She had uh, Excel opened up and she had hundreds of numbers all all lined in you know column one. And she had a calculator and she's sitting there manually adding up everything in all these call on all of these no. uh, cells. And I'm like, whoa, 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 stop, stop, stop. Do you know what Excel is? And she was like, I thought it was just like a bunch of boxes that you could use to organize things. So I was like, it, it is that, but primarily it's a calculator. And I mashed the auto sum button and it just blew her mind. She was like, oh my gosh, I've been doing this yeah. the hard way. I was like, yes, you have. <laughs> so yeah, no, definitely meant Google slides though. Okay. I want to just give a quick expose because I went through this recently with the three presentation tools. Yes, please. I think I know where this is going and I'm fascinated to hear what you have, what challenges you ran into and what you discovered. Okay, well, I'm going to give the brief version now and maybe we come back to this and do a little bit more deep, deep exploration. But essentially there is PowerPoint, there's Keynote and now Slides. Yep. And because of my desire to switch between a full screen presentation and a regular desktop Mm -hmm. holding application X, I tested extensively all three options. And not just all three options, but also how they interact with an external display, right? Or a secondary display. Yeah. Yeah. And so to recap, to give you the brief version, Keynote at least respect a mirrored desktop, but you cannot transition smoothly out of it because no matter what I do, there's a horrible flash. It'll it'll do a nice slow fade to the desktop and then for just for a second, just for a cheeky little second, splash the full page slide up in front of you again. And, and it's really a horrible transition. Nice. PowerPoint... PowerPoint does something something even more complicated. And if I explicitly state laptop screen, mirror to the projector, and then a second screen, or even if you don't have a second screen, PowerPoint overrides macOS and yep. says, whoa, 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 whoa. You don't really want to mirror this screen. What you want yep. is a presentation screen yep. on the laptop <laughs> and a big slide on there, which is fine because probably I do want that except I now can't transition on my laptop screen and have those changes reflected on the projector. Yep, yep. So all of this has led me to now, currently, I'm no doubt this will be subject to change because I, no doubt, Google will change the way it works at some point in the near future. But as of today, Google Slides is my preferred presentation method because I can turn a Chrome, I can turn slides into its own Chrome app. Yep. And then I can make the Chrome app full screen and it behaves like a regular desktop. Yep. I have experienced the exact pain points that you have. And okay. I, I really want to get into the, the, like the, the deep end with this now. I don't know if we should or not. Because <laughs> I think we should. Go on. Okay. Go on. All right. So here's, I have basically found that I, I have to use a different presentation application depending on the scenario that I'm presenting in. So scenario one is when I am presenting in person and I'm going to use an iPad and I'm going to draw on the iPad. That's scenario one. Um, Mm -hmm. Scenario two is when I am going to present uh, over a a web broadcast of some kind, whether that's GoToMeeting or Zoom or RingCentral or any of the other, you know, I've even done a little bit in like Skype for Business, which is awful, by the way. And, uh, and Cisco WebEx, which I think is also completely awful. (laughs) Hate using those. So those are like my two scenarios that I present in, and I have to use a different, a different presentation application, depending on what I want to do. If I want to do in person, it's going to be keynote, right? And so I have to take a, a PowerPoint. It's usually what I get as a PowerPoint. And I have to convert that over to keynote. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. And it's just absolutely miserable. Mm. Um, but then if I am presenting with uh, if I'm presenting with PowerPoint, 
I have to tell PowerPoint, if I have to present with PowerPoint in a, uh, you know, in an online environment, I have to force it to run in kiosk mode, which makes it run as a window, not full screen. Yep. Because if I run it full screen, it takes over my second display. It says, oh, whatever monitor application or whatever monitor scenario you had, that's not what you want. We're going to do it my way. <laughs> we know and better. It, yeah, we know better. We know what you want. And then it takes <laughs> over my second display. So I can't see my, my presenter. I, I can't see my, uh, you know, my, my chat window from, my, from uh, GoToWebinar or GoToMeeting or Zoom or whatever. I can't, you know, I, I can't see any of that stuff because it forcefully takes over my second display and there's nothing I can do to change that except run it in windowed mode. But now we have a problem where when I run it in window mode, I can't see the presenter notes from the application nope. because it won't just give me a floating window with the notes. And it's like, good grief. <laughs> and then, but Nick, it gets worse. The application that I prefer to make stuff in that I prefer to build my stuff in is absolutely without a doubt Google Sheets. I'm sorry, not Google Sheets, okay. Google Slides. Uh, here we go. But, but, and so right. now, literally, back back at a couple jobs ago, I had a workflow where I would author everything in Google Slides and then export yep. it as a PDF and then turn the PDF into a keynote or something like that. It was like a four-step process to get it to the application that I needed it to be in just so I could give my freaking presentation. It was so, so irritating. But now, I think, I mean, I was playing around with this just last week. I think now Slides will let you download as a PPTX. It will. Uh, but the problem it's now, now remember this is a few years ago that I was kind of okay. doing this crazy workflow. The, the reality yeah. is, is that now everything happens in PowerPoint, my current company, we use Microsoft products. Nobody uses Google products here. Uh, and so everything is originating from PowerPoint, but the, the export from, uh, from Google slides to PowerPoint was not good enough. Uh, especially when you tried to make the jump from PowerPoint to keynote and so what i was trying to do uh, is go okay. from slides to powerpoint to keynote it was like a three-step process and you would just lose so much when you did that it would just just formatting was a nightmare and yeah, yeah it's it's pretty hopeless so yeah like if i'm making slides i want to do it in, in google slides if i'm presenting in person it's going to be uh it's going to be be keynote if i'm presenting uh over a web broadcast of some kind it has to be powerpoint so i'm literally strung between all three of them and none of them perfectly meet my use cases for everything. It is so irritating. Why does it have to be this hard? Yeah, I really made a rod for my own back by starting my slide deck creation journey in Sheets. In sheets, in slides. <laughs> no, I've got, got you saying the wrong one. I really, really made it difficult for myself by starting in an Excel spreadsheet. Um. <laughs> that's like the worst place you could possibly start <laughs> what are you using excel for oh this is where i build my slide deck yeah. <laughs> so i started my slide deck creation journey inside google slides and then i did a press a test presentation by plugging my tv into the laptop as a as a uh, mirrored display and then iPad as a second screen and something about the way the Google Slides presenter window was presented. I, I didn't I didn't like the way the presenter notes were being displayed to me. Uh -huh. So so I I, I decided okay right well it's too late now I'm going to have to go through the rest of this uh, test presentation using slides but I'm going to change I'm going to change to I'm going to change to Keynote because Keynote did a really good job with the annotations on screen, da 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 yep. da. Yep. So I started the conversion process. I spent probably four hours messing around with the formatting, like fonts. All, all the animations worked. I don't have any animations in my product, maybe in my slide deck, maybe five or six. Right. But just like appearing text and things like exactly. that. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Nothing, yeah. nothing uh, exciting because. Yeah. At the end of the day, it's a slide deck, not a yeah. movie. Yeah. Um, but I did all of this. And then when it came around to my second <laughs> test presentation, 
I tried to transition between the two. I'm like, no, what have I done? I've spent all this time moving into Kino and now I hate it. I've got to yep. go back. I've yep. got to go back. It's brutal. It's absolutely brutal. And so what this all boils down to is when I run an application, I want it to behave like every other macOS window and application does. I don't want it to do anything special, you know? Like, mm. I, in, in a perfect world, when I hit presentation mode on Keynote, it would transition to a full screen application, but it would behave like any other full screen application. And then the presenter notes would just be another window that I could drag to any monitor, you know, and just put yeah. it where I want it. Just just let me put things where I want it. It's not that big of a deal. I can just drag and drop it. It's not the end of the world. And then once I've got it set up once and I go into presentation mode and I leave it, then just go back to however I had it before when I come back into my presentation. Because we can't be the only ones that regularly pop out of no. our slide decks to go show a web page or an application or something like that. We cannot be the only ones in the world to do this. We can't be the only ones experiencing this pain. I, I completely agree. I do respect the the decision that needs to be made by the app developers of not creating too much choice. But we're talking about a presentation tool that the fine details like this make a huge difference. Mm -hmm. I Okay, you don't want to have too many options? Fine. Put in a checkbox somewhere that says, give me advanced settings. And then yeah. everything becomes an option. Yep, totally. Or just treat your windows like normal windows. Okay, well, here's an example. Ekahau Pro. Uh, the primary, the main Ekahau Pro it window is just a window, right? And then you have the Spectrum Analyzer and Wi-Fi Scanner that pops up from the bottom, and then you can click the pop-out button, and it just becomes another floating window. You can drag it to mm -hmm. any window you want. You can click the full screen button if you want. You could put them both on the same screen if you want. You could put them on different desktops or workspaces if you want. I love that. Yeah. That was that is my all-time favorite way for a tool to handle multiple windows from one tool. And I wish that presentation tools would follow suit and, and do the same. But think, they won't. <laughs> I think Zoom did a good job with that, where in inside the application you had a limited set of options. And then did you ever click on the advanced options button? Yeah, and it'd take you to the the your account, basically to your account page on, it was like on the web, then, in the web browser, yeah. right? And then yeah. so, suddenly you could change everything. There were everything. settings in there that I could not understand what they did. Yes, but I don't mind that because yeah. there's somebody out there that relies on that for their workflow to do what they need, to make it do what they need to do. And I don't have to understand what it is or what it does. I'll just ignore it and just go find the thing that I do need, but I want the other person to have that flexibility. 100%. Yep. And I wish that more applications would handle it like that. And with that, nice. yeah, I think we can probably wrap this one up. Let's wrap it up. Joel, cool. pleasure speaking with you. Thanks very much, man. Yeah, you as well. Um, hey, one thing that, uh, actually, this was your idea uh, off mic, is we should probably talk about where people can find us if they would like to interact with us. Because, I don't know, there might be, we might have a bunch of people listening to this by this point, because this is episode six. We could have maybe 10 listeners by now. Two digits. <laughs> yeah. We might actually, we might have broken into the double digit territory for listeners. <laughs> So, um, you know, I think a really great way to reach me is probably Twitter. I think that's probably the best way for, for people to, to get in touch. Uh, on Twitter, my, my Twitter handle is at potato underscore phi, as in Wi-Fi, potato underscore phi. I'm, wait, I'm waiting for potato phi with no underscore to free up, but it, the account's been suspended for years now, and yeah, I don't know if I'm ever going to get that. Nick, what's the best, <laughs> what's the best way for people to, to find you? I am at... Nick J V Turner. Nick on J. Twitter. V. Turner. Nick J V Turner. Got it. Okay, cool. And uh, you know, we'll throw those down in the show notes just so that you have a you I don't know if we'll bother trying to link you to it, but uh, you can go scroll down to the show notes and we'll throw our Twitter pro, our Twitter handles in there just in case verbal wasn't the best way. And yeah. uh, another thing that Nick and I have been kind of kicking around is whether we even want to bother with show notes anymore. We've been doing them. We found them <laughs> Half to heartedly. Yeah. 
Um, like every podcast application formats them differently. Like some applications seem to accept HTML tags. And so we can do links and stuff. Others just straight up, just throw a wall of text at you. And, and we haven't really been able to crack the code on that. And it's been, it's been almost as much work as just recording the podcast. And so if you have any thoughts on that, whether, you know, do you use the show notes? Do you care? Let us know. I'd be interested in hearing. And uh, Joel, do you ever look at show notes from other podcasts? Like once or twice I have. Like okay. Like once or twice they've said, yeah, we'll put a link down in the show notes and maybe I'll go find it. But I got to admit, no, not really. That's pretty rare. <laughs> okay. So maybe that's a good indicator. I, I haven't yeah. used show notes very much. But, but maybe this is something that we need to understand whether people who, the type of people who listen to the Hidden Note podcast is, are they the type of people who want ten of you. to see? Say again? All ten of you too. Exactly. Like all ten of Do, them. Is is show notes something that's important to you? And if it is, then we'll 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 do it. But if it's not, then I'll happily let that lapse. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. So shoot shoot us a tweet or something like that. Um. Uh, another way you can get a hold of me if you don't do the the tweeter thing is I'll I'll throw my email address down there too. You can reach me at joel at potatofy.com. That is my uh, my email address. Be so feel free to email me there if that's easier than a tweet for some reason. Nice. Cool. So with that, I think we can probably go ahead and wrap it up. Nick, always a pleasure. I wish we had more time to talk as always. And I'm looking forward to uh, to next time when we can actually talk about all the things that we thought we were going to talk about in this episode. But you know what? That happens every time. That happens every time. Yeah, this is becoming a, a regular recurring theme. <laughs> yes, yes. But I'm okay with it. Cool. Well, awesome, Thanks, Nick. Man. Have a great rest of your day. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.